This morning we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through verse 13. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you are able. I'm going to read the scripture and be encouraged by the public reading of scripture. I'll read the odd verses if you could read the even verses beginning in verse 9. Romans chapter 12 says this, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. Never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. You may be seated. Father, thank you that we are here. Thank you, Lord, that we're gathered, those watching online. Father, I pray for, uh, if we could just pause for a moment, pray for Ukraine. Father, we pray for them to be united and strengthened and encouraged and projected. Father, we pray that families would be united, that they would stand uh, against Russia. Lord, we pray for uh, that you would grant supernatural uh, intelligence uh, to the Ukrainian army there, that they would know uh, where to be and, and, and when, and to know uh, where threats are coming and uh, what they need to do to stop that. Father, we pray uh, that the weapons uh, formed against them uh, could not get to the front lines. Father, we pray for children, that they wouldn't be traumatized or lost, that even blood banks would be full and Father, that uh, there would be enough for, for the injured and that medical care would save lives. And Lord, that you put your hand upon that situation and ultimately that the gospel would have a, ma they would be massively open to that. We lift up Ukraine to you and ask this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. And so what we have here today, what we have here today is we have a list of character traits before us, which are really going to be a great challenge to us. And so what is listed here in the next uh, verses from 9 through 21, talks about this is what your life should look like when you become a Christ follower. And so as we look through this, you can ask yourself, well, does, is that what my life looks like? You can sort of see it as this is my, my calling being laid out before us. And so I don't want us to look at this as like a test, like I'm doing that one or I'm not doing that one. But look at it really as something uh, that uh, if you're following Christ, it what measure is this happening in your life? And so uh, I would like for us to, uh, to just engage with the scripture here as we're going through it. And so because he's, so Paul said this in Romans 12. He said, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or the smart thing to do. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. So what he says here is because of what God has done. So he spent 11 chapters talking about what God has done. Now that we're in right standing with God, that we have this incredibly amazing, majestic salvation here, that God has given us his peace. We have peace with God. We're adopted as the children of God. We have the power of the resurrection. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have all of this because of what God has done here. He says, now look at what now are you to be for him? Like, what can you do for him in light of all that he has done for you? And then Paul says to present, here's what you do. Present yourself. Present yourself, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. In other words, you say, God, all that you've done for me, now I want to live for you. I'm giving you all of me because of all that you've done for me. 
And this is the very least I can do. This is the logical thing. The only smart thing that I can do is to respond to you. I'm not going to be molded by the pressures of the world there. But I'm going to let the Spirit of God, the Word of God, transform me because I can't transform myself. So then you begin to think differently about life. And we talked about then how God gives you gifts of his Spirit, divine endowments there that you can serve him and serve others. And then we talked about, now we're going to talk about practical Christian living. We're going to uh, talk about what is the purpose of the 11 chapters? What is the way of life? What is the lifestyle, the way of living that you're to do? What does living for Jesus look like? So that's where we are now. And so I want to say, too, that this is incredibly personal for you to engage with each one of these things that we talk about. And this is where we live, friends. Every moment of every day, this is where we live. Beginning in verse 9, it says this. Love must be what? Must be what? It must be? Must be what? Yeah. So we're to take hold of this here. Uh, take hold of this because it says love never like is to be faking it and phony and insincere and full of hypocrisy here. He's saying like, look, when you become a Christ follower, there's something that God wants to do in your life. And by the way, he wouldn't say this unless it was an issue in the church. It has to be an issue for him to bring it up here. And so he says, look, we're not to fake love, we're not to pretend love. The Bible says in the New Living Translation, don't just pretend, don't be fakers and phony, and to, and, but really love them. And so question to you, like, why does this need to be here? Could it be that this is true in, in, in people today? Could it, could it be true of me? The answer is yes. And so it's written to people that have put their faith in Christ, and he's saying this, don't be hypocritical. Don't fake the whole love thing. i got to talk to you about that. And so he's saying this, look, uh, if the Scripture bothers to tell us this, there's a reason why it's here, and that is that we generally need to hear this. Now, I know many of you, and I know that you are sincere in your love, but, uh, but it is possible here that this could uh, uh, undermine our lives here. And so God knows, the Bible says that the eyes of man, uh, the eyes of God, uh, look into the heart. Even though we look outside, God looks at the heart. So God is looking at you all the time. Looking, are you genuine? Are you authentic? Are you real? Or are you being phony about it? And so this actually had, where this comes from in that culture, it comes from uh, actors and dramas and theater and all that. And so what you would have in that culture is you would have uh, people that wanted to go get some entertainment. So they go to a theater and they watch a Greek drama. And so what they would do is they'd see actors then that had memorized all the lines. They could speak with the right inflection and, and they, they would get on stage and they would begin to act. So they would leave their normal life and then they would go on stage and this is literally what they would do. They would put on a mask. They would put on a mask, sometimes a happy mask, a sad mask, different types of masks. Here it is. So this is what they would literally do. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to play it out. This is what they'd do. They would be off stage, okay? They'd be off stage. Then what they would do is they would put on a mask like this. 
So this is what, they'd have different types of mail, but literally, literally like one of the masks, don't take pictures, do not, oh, you can take pictures if you want, I don't care. But anyway, so then what they would do, they memorize their lines, they've got it all sorted out, and then what they would do is they would come on stage. And now when they're on stage, they're a whole different person. That person no longer exists, now they're a different person, and they come on stage, and then they would do, they would act, okay? They would have their masks, they're happy and sad and all that. And so they would emote then things that they had memorized. And so they would be role-playing then, and, uh, and then they would, after they had done that, they would come off the stage, they would come off the stage, and now they're back to their real life and who they really were. And so what I want us to see is this. What I want us to see is when the Bible says love sincerely, it means this. It means this. It means take off the mask. Some of your translations read, love is without hypocrisy. It means love is without the masks. So, and what was true in them is true in us. Where you can be one person on Sunday and a different person on Monday. And you can pretend, learn to, to work and work the environment and work how, how to be in a church and all that. But he's saying that, look, you need, to, you need to take off the mask when you begin to follow. In other words, no mask in how you greet people. You know what I'm talking about? You can't stand them and all that. And, uh, and rather than like risk being honest or having a conversation, you, know, you, just, you just are phony with them. Or maybe you're, you're insincere in your encouragement. You're insincere in saying how you're going to pray for people. You're insincere when you ask, you know, how are you doing? So he's saying, look, uh, when you begin to follow Christ, you want to adopt a posture of removing the mask, the phoniness, and being sincere, genuine, authentic, real with people. Isn't that great what God does in you? And so then it says this. He says, hey, what's evil? Now, this is a really a great challenge. To hate what is evil. I'd like us to think about this here, because how do you hate evil in a culture that says, like, you got to tolerate everything? You know, that's the, that's the posture of the culture, tolerate everything. And some people just say, well, you know what? I, I intellectually, I kind of objectively, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't agree with evil. I don't agree with evil. This is talking about, friends, a gut-level reaction to evil. That's what it means. To, it's, it's visceral that, that you're reacting to it and that you hate what evil does to people. You hate how it hurts people. So you hate the, what, evil even, what the evil even does to you. And so hate literally means to despise. It literally means to hate exceedingly. To hate exceedingly. It means more than just like, well, you know, I don't really care for that. No, this is talking about hating exceedingly, and it's in present tense, which means to continuously and constantly hate what is evil. To take a stance a posture against evil. And so Paul is telling the church, look, there's some people that they don't hate evil. God wants you, as a Christ follower, to hate, to despise evil. And so um, I can become more tolerant about the things of, in my own life that are evil. So he's saying, look, you need to hit the reset button on this here because modern culture telling you to tolerate everything here. And the Bible says in Psalm 97, verse 10, watch, it says, you who love the Lord hate evil. Like if you love God, you're going to love what God loves and hate what God hates. God hates evil. You're going to hate evil. And so if you could look at the screen again, David said this in Psalm 101. He said, I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. Watch this. 
Watch this. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. And so he says, the deeds of the faithless men I hate. Watch. They will not cling to me. So what he's saying here is that the deeds of other people that you hang with, they can cling to you. They can influence you. They can become a part of your life. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I'll have nothing to do with evil. So he says here, he says here, I will set before my eyes no evil thing. I would just like to encourage us to filter our lives through that, to filter what we see through that, to filter maybe gaming through that, to filter TV through that. That if you're looking for a great scripture for your TV, that would be one there. And so I would suggest to you, I would suggest to you that how do you think we can drink in evil like continually there in the most graphic ways, hour after hour, and it not have any impact on our lives? How can we do that? And we can't, do we expect that we're not going to reap what we sow? And so if you if you hate evil, you're gonna hate then things that are gonna gonna be put into your mind. And you notice he says here, says they will not cling to me. They will not cling to me. And so is it possible? I'm asking you, is it possible to expose yourselves to whatever and you or you saturate yourselves with that, that it's not going to, to cling to you? Uh, the, the sensuality, you know, the evil that's not going to cling to you. And so, friends, we need, to, we need to process this. And it's very straightforward, hard-hitting. It says in Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to what? Is to what? Is to hate evil. And so uh, if God hates evil, hates uh, evil behavior, then we need to be mindful of what we put into our minds, in our eyes, in our ears, because it will influence us. Now watch this, the next verse. Our next part of verse 9 says, cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. And so the word cling is where we get our word glue from. So he's saying, look, be glued to what is good. In other words, he's saying here, uh, uh, he's saying here that I can attach myself to things that, that are good. And why? Why would it be good? Because is it possible that they could easily escape me? that I could attach myself, that I could cling to, but then over time, they, I, I lose that attachment. So he's saying literally grab things that are good, hold on to them, have a very high value of them, and so cling to what is good. What kind of good? Perhaps a good cause, perhaps a good ministry, a good action, a good attitude, perhaps good for others, perhaps influence others for good, but cling, glue yourself to what is good. And then the next verse, he says, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted. It means to be kindly affectionate. The, the Greek word is phileo, which is, is a, a friendship type of a love there. And so it's like a, hey, you're my bro type, type of a love. And so he's talking about how to treat people in a community of faith. Remember, this is written to the church there uh, of Rome. And so the idea is that you treat everybody like their family. You're treating everybody like their family. We're called to be a part of a big family. So you get this, right? You get what it's like to be part of a family. You all live in families, and you always have, you always have those kind of people in your family that they're a little different. You know what I'm talking about? And so you don't love all your family because you have amazing personality and because they're most gifted, godly people on the planet, and they're winsome, you know, and super cool and good-looking. You, you don't love them for that, right? Come on, somebody. You don't love them for that. You love them because they're your what? They're your, they're your, yeah, that's why you love them. 
So that's what Paul is talking about here. In the church, you have people that maybe they're not super cool, they're not winsome uh, and all that, but you love them, phileo, friend, family, because that's what they are there. And so that's the point where I love you, you know, I love you, not because you're perfect, not because you're without mistake, but I love you because you are family there. And so you don't have to earn my love. I love you because you are here. You're part of the family. And so when this happens, you stick up for one another. You defend one another. Uh, you look out for one another because they're your family, right? So that's how it's to be in the church. That's why he gives this illustration here. So this is what Paul is saying it's supposed to be like here. Now watch this. This is so good. The next verse, in t- verse 10, says, Honor one another above yourselves. That means to outdo one another in showing honor. Now this is to be an attitude that we have, and I want to unpack here because you all understand, you know, a high appraisal. You sell your car, you're hoping for a high appraisal. Uh, you uh, maybe go on garage sales and you find something that looks awesome and you think maybe this might be worth something and you take it to an antique dealer and you're hoping that it's going to get a high appraisal. Maybe you go to or watch TV, they have the antique show roads there and the one in Vegas and all that and then somebody gets something and they, they bring it in and the appraiser says, oh, this is amazing. This is a national treasure. This is worth $200,000, has high valuation. Well, what this is talking about is putting a high valuation on other people, valuing one another here, that they feel like I'm a valued, treasured person. To put a high value on everyone is what he's talking about here. So I wonder, do we understand how revolutionary that this could be if we actually would do this? We actually would do what God says and build this in our lives where people feel valued. They feel priceless. They feel the treasure that they are. And so this is how we're to relate to one another. This is what following Christ looks like. Now, why would we do this? In light of a culture that is, there's so many experts at pulling, tearing people down. This is saying here that we should be experts at honoring people. That's what you should be an expert at. Not criticizing, but honoring them. So it's so countercultural. You think about how countercultural this is to show honor, perhaps when no one else is showing it. Imagine how that impacts someone's life there. To operate in a, in a genuine way that honors and values and prizes people will be absolutely transformative. And now notice what he says in verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, after 11 chapters of doctrine, 11 chapters of theology, he does not say, never be lacking in doctrine. He doesn't say, never be lacking in theology. What he says is, never be lacking in zeal. Be fervent serving the Lord. And I think sometimes it's possible to kind of hit the pause button on zeal or hit hit the pass button on zeal. And so, and I think sometimes you grow up in certain denominations like, like we never even talked about that. But sometimes people, they take a break or they've never even developed zeal or passion in their lives. And so what he's saying is, let's not give God less than we give like our favorite team. Come on, somebody. Let's not give God less 
than passion than we give our golf game. Or let's not give God less than we give to our home workouts. Or let's not give God less than we give to our favorite hobby, whatever you want to fill it in. But we can be so passionate about temporal things and lack passion for eternal things here. And people say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired, and man, I got, got these allergies going on. Interesting you didn't have the allergies going on that undermine your cheering at the Super Bowl, but now you don't have, you don't have, because your allergies, you don't have any passion for God, or all the, the things that, that we make, we say. But he's saying, pay attention to the passion o meter on your own heart for the things of Christ. Because if you don't, one day you'll wake up and you'll wonder what happened here. You'll, you'll wonder why you don't have any passion. See, here's what he's saying. Never, never, never be lacking in this one thing. And that is zeal, that is passion. Uh, the, it literally means the, the next part to, to be hot or on fire or boiling. So he's saying, look, if you lose it, uh, if, you, if, you, if you don't take that to heart, never be lacking, what can happen is like an hour turns into like a day and then a day turns into a week, and a week turns into a month, and a month turns into a year, and a year turns into decades, and a decade turns into a lifetime, and now all of a sudden, there, there's, there's, there's no zeal, there's no passion, there's no excitement, there's no fervor there. So never be lacking in zeal. Perhaps you're here and you need to cultivate that in your life. And so Paul is saying here that there are things to be zealous about when you follow Christ. There's things to be excited and to be passionate about. I'll just tell you a few things right off the top of my head, some things that I'm excited about. I'm excited about being a part of this church. I'm excited about that on Wednesday nights, we have over 60 students here. I mean, I'm excited about that, that where kids are falling off and kids aren't doing church, that we have 60 plus kids every Wednesday night here uh, that are excited to be here. I'm excited about that. We just had an all church worship night. It was awesome. I loved it. Uh, we're, we're rolling those out. I love that we're a church is bringing worship to the broader community. I love that God is touching lives. God is transforming lives. I hear stories all the time. Uh, God is just uh, at work behind the scenes by his spirit, touching people's lives, drawing them to Christ. Uh, probably uh, twice a month, we give invitations and people make decisions for Christ. I love that we have a new men's Bible study. I love that there's like going to be 40 or 50 women, like going to shoot guns in the desert at Ironwood. Like, I love that. You know, I'm excited about that. Uh, and so I'm excited about the new building that we have. I'm excited that the CUP is going to be uh, going uh, into the city there. I want to be talking more about uh, our, our, our permanent home. I'm excited about so many things that God is doing. And so it says here then to keep your spiritual fervor. That means to literally to, to have to burn with a, a desire and a passion. The word fervor means hot. It means to be come to the point of boiling, boiling there, to be stirred up, uh, to be passionate here, uh, to be on fire with a passion for God. Paul said to Timothy, here's how important this is. Paul said to Timothy, he said, hey, Timothy, I'm seeing your life there, and I see that the flame is getting a little bit weak. Tim, you need to stir up the gift of God that is within you. So Paul even had to talk to a spiritual leader about that. And so sometimes we can just sort of go through the motions. And this is saying, hey, let God stir your heart. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is very true. The church there at Ephesus, 
And uh, you see the seven churches of Asia Minor talked about in chapter 2 and 3 in Revelation. And Jesus addressed all of them. And, he, and this is what he did. He said, hey, you're point on there. You're on there. You're on there. But then he say, but we got some issues we need to talk about. And let me tell you what we need to talk about. Well, the church of Ephesus, this is what he did. He said, you guys are rocking it. I'm just putting it in my own vernacular. You guys are rocking it in your good works. You guys are crushing it in good works. It's amazing your good works. Because I tip my hat to you. He says, your doctrine, you guys are dialed in doctrinally. Your theology spot on. But I have this against you. I have this against you. You've left your first love. If you don't return to me, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so there it is. They've got doctrine and theology, good works. And we would see a church like that today. We would go, yes, that's, a, that's an incredible church. And Jesus says, um, I beg to differ. Because they have left their first love. They've left their love for me, their passion for me. And so Paul is reminding us of that. And so some of you, then he says, this is what he says to do. He says, repent, which literally means to, to turn around and go in a different direction here uh, with your life. So perhaps maybe that's us. And the Lord would say, you need to, need to repent. You need to go in a different direction. Maybe it's the crowd you're running with that just is empowering you all the time not to be passionate, not to have a love, not to have your heart stirred. And so so you need to repent of whatever it is there and return then to your first love. Say, God, somewhere I missed it, somewhere I got off here, and I was just, I don't know, I thought I was following, but I see it now as, as you see it, and I pray that you would stir my heart, that I would be aglow with a fire for you. And then he says this, serving the Lord. This is how you're to do it. Uh, serving the Lord. And so not to serve just, myself, not to just serve, you know, uh, being a person that's just kind of watching, not to be self-absorbed with Rod Collins here. The Bible says in Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with, with gladness, not with sadness, not with grumpiness, serve the Lord with gladness. And then I'm, I'm going to just run through these sort of quickly because we're... Um, because of our time frame. It says, be joyful in hope. In other words, hope is having a positive expectation of the ultimate outcome and future. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is for all times our living hope, giving us hope. It says, patient in affliction. This is what it means. I think we need this in light of the time that we, that we live. This is what it means. It means, watch, watch, friends, watch. It means to bear, to live, to to. To, to bear under the weight of circumstances. How many people you're facing the weight of circumstances, the weight of the times in which we're living? It means to, to bear up under, patient, persevering is what it literally means. Persevering, holding up, abiding under pressure is what it's saying here. And then faithful in prayer. Again, this is the lifestyle of a Christ follower. All of these we could almost do a whole message on. Faithful in prayer. It means to be steadfast in prayer. It means devoted in prayer and calling upon God. And then it says, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. It means literally um, you can't do something for everybody, but you can do something for somebody that God puts in in your pathway, makes it real to you, that you could help them, that, that one person. Do something for the one. Make a difference in the one. 
So that's what it's saying here. Serve the Lord's people and those who are in need. And then it says, and I close with this. Practice hospitality. The word practice means to pursue. Now think about this. To pursue. Pursue what? It means you're literally running after the person there that you, you want to show hospitality to. It's not just like we're throwing a party and anybody can come. No, it's like you are pursuing, literally running after that person. That's the word picture there. And hospitality literally means just to, to love strangers. In other words, it means not to, to in church world, to have your little holy huddle. You got your little group. And all you ever do is you, you talk to your group. And where's, where's my group? And who do I know? And, and, I, and I'm only comfortable around them. No, it's saying, you know what? As a lifestyle, if you're going to follow Christ, you need to, you need to like move beyond that. Move beyond, break out of those little huddles they feel insular. They feel like, is, can anybody come into the huddle? And it means to, to, to be welcoming. It, it would, I think of it this way, is that when you're in a group and perhaps there you are with, with uh, you're chatting up and maybe you see somebody, maybe I, I see Harrison here. I see Harrison is all by himself. And to, to kind of break from the group and to go over and to demonstrate hospitality, to pursue, to go after, open the circle and invite him into my circle. That, that's what it means to, to pursue hospitality. And imagine how transformative, how powerful this would be, how revolutionary this would be, and how, how welcoming the atmosphere uh, of the church would be if we did this. So again, friends, this is just sort of a, uh, the first third of, of, the, um, of the aspects of what it looks like to follow Christ. All of those chapters of Romans, so that we would get to the heart, we would get to the heart of Romans, which is this, is this is what it looks like, follow Christ. And so we're going to continue this uh, next week. And so if you could stand to your feet, we will pray. So Father, thank you that um, you have spoken these things in your word, that we might be able to have them a couple thousand years later to know what it looks like to follow you, to live out the life that is within, to work out our salvation with reverence for the one that saved us. And Lord, we want to have lives which, which please you. We want to learn what it is to, to, to hate evil and to cling tightly to what is good and to love sincerely and to remove masks and Father, to never lack zeal, to love one another as, as family, to be fervent for you. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts to, to live in a way that would please you and in this way that to follow you. So I pray that you would do this and you would do more. In Jesus' name, amen.